Geeky Shaz, episode 108. The interviews from Classic Comic Con Part One. Hey guys, this is Jeremy. I'm at Classic Comic Con here in Modesto, and sitting down with me now is Margarita Marie. How are you? Hi, I'm doing very good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Thank you for taking the time to sit down. Uh, are we doing Poison Ivy today? Yes, we're, I'm doing a steampunk Poison Ivy. This is my actual debut of her. Okay, today, looks so. very nice. Thank you. Yeah. I did my skirt, and it was very difficult, but you know, I had to get it done, and it was very creative. I love the way it came out. It so yeah, it nice. looks fantastic. Thank so, you. um, you who else do you cosplay as, and what other names might people know you by? Um, a lot of other cosplays that I've done, I've done Firewire from Shadowhunter Comics. I've done Black Cat. I've done Poison Ivy, of course. I've done a Steampunk Lilu. I've done Jill Valentine, Cortana. You're all over um, the board, Sakura. then. Yeah. yeah, I love a lot of anime and a lot of video games and a lot of DC and Marvel. I'm just all over the place. Right and, on. So how did you get into cosplay? Um, I got into cosplay about two years ago. Um, I got inspired by another cosplayer okay. named Liz Cat. Um, she has her own personal issues, but she just basically went out and just started cosplaying. She's known for her Tifa Lockhart cosplay. Okay. And she got very popular of that. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to do it, too, and I'm going to see if I could be successful. And after um, trying out for, like, six months of going to cons, as an attendee, I got invited to be um, one of the guests for Shadowhunter Comics. So I went and signed autographs there. And ever ever since then, I just started going to cons, being a guest, and meeting my fans, and just having a good time and meeting a lot of wonderful people. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so where can people find you on the Internet if they want to? Um, everyone could find me by searching Margie Z-G-K-E-T-A. That's M-A-R-G-I-E-Z-G-K-E-T-A. You'll find all my social medias, everything, if you type that into Google. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey guys, Jeremy again here at uh, Classic Comic Con in 2016 in Modesto, California. And I am being joined by Doc Phineas from Pawn Stars, and I'll let you rattle off the rest of your credits. <laughs> well, hi, Jeremy. It's wonderful to be here with all of you guys today, all you fabulous geeks out there. Fantastic. And yeah, I'm Doc Phineas. You'll see me as the major antiques, antiquities expert on Pawn Stars with Rick and Corey and Chum Lee. I'm out there in 25 episodes currently, and we're in our 14th season wow if you can imagine so that's quite something for a television show our show goes to 154 countries we are dubbed in 38 languages so i'm i'm ending up with uh fan clubs in australia new zealand wow. france <laughs> who would have thought right yeah well there's kind of a joke is a lot it's a, not a lot but some of my guests are canadian actors and they're fairly famous ones yeah so i'll tell people what's your podcast about and i'll give them a quick rundown and go but i'm also kind of famous in canada so <laughs> i, I kind of understand it so how did you i mean you got kind of a whole steampunk vibe going on how'd you get into that well you know i'm a college professor okay so i've been teaching archaeology my phd is in archaeology oh, from London university and so i really am a real life indiana jones uh i'm that guy that takes 25 students goes down the nile with a ct scanner from siemens and we're basically putting three thousand year old mummies that's like fantastic. Through the, through so the just just between you and I, then actually, 
here in Modesto, the, the anthropology department started at MJC were char- started by Charles and Kay Black, who were both economists, but they were also very good friends of my parents, even though they were a generation or two older than my parents were. Right. So when I was young... I wanted to be an archaeologist, so I actually studied anthropology, but then I went into plumbing because I wanted to make a living. So, you know. Brilliant. Well, and you know, it's kind of the same way with me. I mean, um, I started out, of course, as a scholar Mm -hmm. and um, actually headed off to India on digs in Mahindradaro and Harappa. And then I was in Timbuktu and in Mali and southern Morocco. And so I was really out there on camels, you know, and, wow. and, and in the 70s when people really looked like Indiana Jones. Right, right. Know? And then um, I also would come back to San Francisco, and I was in uh, ACT, American Conservatory Theater, and did a year run in uh, Agatha Christie's The Mousetrip as, as uh, Sir Christopher Wren. So I was an actor and also an archaeologist. What, what a fascinating background you have. <laughs> and so um, I, I went to L.A. basically. My first movie was Blade Runner. So I was in Blade Runner. Were you really? Yeah. Okay. And uh, now I've done 30 movies. And, uh, you know, I'm on Pawn Stars. I'm also on Hauntings. I'm on Annie show Limo Wars. And, uh, you know, getting ready to develop my own television show that's going to be on the ITV network called The Time Traveler. Fantastic. It's be for children on Saturday morning. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's really great. And I'm, I'm currently starring in two movies. I just finished the Q document. Uh, which is a lot of fun, and I play the role of Satan, if you can imagine. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> but I'm a really nice Satan. Well, you know, I'm not yeah. a bad Satan. <laughs> and I just got the role of Rudyard Kipling in the movie Kipling, and we'll be in Pinewood Studios uh, in London. Now, Pinewood, they did Empire Strikes Back there, they right? Did the yeah. Empire Strikes Back. And then we're going to film the rest of the year in India, in Kipling's home in India. Oh, fantastic. So this is very exciting to me because I've spent so much of my life in India. Yeah. And so to be able to return, but as Rudyard Kipling, and that's, it's going to be amazing. That's kind so, of a big deal. So, really what, so I, I know this is like asking to pick a favorite child, but <laughs> what what is your favorite part? I mean, because you've got a really varied and interesting background. I really do. So archaeology, so scholarly works, acting, or... Crafting and dressing up. What's your favorite thing to you do? Know, I really can't pick a favorite, yeah, that's what Jeremy. I thought. Um, it's all me. I, I most people look at me like you know I'm kind of multiple personality sure. coming unglued, you know. <laughs> but maybe I am. Maybe I am sort of a mad, you know, time traveler. Could be. But it all uh, it all works for me, and it makes a happy life. Where um, I think my students love the fact that I'm very dramatic. And what happened to me? Geek the geek. Okay. Sure. Um, you know, I'm from Berkeley. I. I did my undergraduate studies at Berkeley and, you know, 4.0 student. And so I'm coming out with this vast background in history. I studied, like, physics with Albert Einstein Jr. You know, I had amazing professors. Wow. We had 21 Nobel laureates when I attended Berkeley. And so now I'm at UNLV, University of Nevada, and I asked my students, who can find London on the globe? And 65 students are, like, running for their phones to find the app oh, to sure. find London. And so I, I sort of changed my whole thing, came back as Doc Phineas, and they stopped texting. <laughs> they actually look at me because I look so wild. I really right. look like a time traveler. And I found that this is a great vehicle to teach with, you know, to use kind of like a dramatic presentation. Sure. So they said, you know, history used to be so dull until we got a teacher like you. Uh, I go to Burning Man. I ride my bicycle that shoots fire out the back. That's really cool. <laughs> so, you know, I really am a character, and I'm out there, and I, I – 15, 20 students walk me to my bicycle after class. They don't want to stop talking, you know? That's outstanding. And, and so I think this is really working for me in cosplay. Yeah. Um, that, that I'm this character that's disseminating knowledge 
and I sort of look like a Disney character. So I think that that's probably like, helps a bit. Yeah. So it really is a total package. I, I don't know how I keep it all glued together, but it's it's making a very fun life, you know. Well, I'm sure it is. Well, so. hey, thank you for taking the time to sit my down pleasure. with me. I had a great time talking with you. I'm going to throw you one of my cards, though. I thank if you, you would, If you would ever like to do a full, like, 45 minutes with me. I would love it. Let me know. I'd Let's love to have you back it. on. This has been a lot of fun. It would be a lot of fun. And thank you all out there for watching Pawn Stars. I'm, I get such great emails. And I'm glad you like it. I've got some really great episodes coming up with Chumley. So you've got to tune in. One lady pawns an Egyptian mummy. So you've got to see this. (laughs) That can't can't be legal. I'm like, you can't pawn a dead body. That's someone's mummy. Yeah. (laughs) But it's it's really a great episode. And at the end I go, now that's good television. That's (laughs) fantastic. Well, Doc, thank you very much. It was good to meet you. Cheers. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Rachel Beck from Story Forge Productions. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to stop by. So you and I got stuck in line trying to solve an issue this morning, <laughs> and we started talking, and you've got a, a Dracula project that I like the sounds of. Why don't you tell me a little bit about it? Uh, so The Dracula Files is a found footage audio drama, which is kind of like the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. but in audio form. Uh, and it's a faithful retelling of Bram Stoker's original Dracula, but done with voicemails and radio bits instead of the original. Uh, journals and newspaper clippings. Right. That's, that sounds really interesting to me. Um, one thing I have to question, I don't know if you've seen the show The Strain. Okay, it's a it's a really shitty show, but the okay. thing I liked that they did was they actually took the plague ship from Dracula oh. and turned it into an airplane that landed, but everybody on board was dead, and they Excellent. were trying to solve that. So did you go with the ship, or did you use something different to We introduce? stuck with the ship. Okay. We stuck with the ship. It um, rolls into, people could actually hear the entire black box recording uh, if they go to our website. We released it all for free. It's about eight minutes long, oh, that's and it's fantastic. the captain's log. Of the, like, rapid descent into insanity as Dracula slowly takes over the ship. Well, that's outstanding. So how did you get into doing audio dramas? Uh, well, we actually had a background in film okay. um, previous to this. I used to work for a production company. And then after they moved out to Texas, um, uh, Karen, my business partner, we started a production company together. Um, and uh, we wanted to uh, play to our strengths with uh, limited resources. Sure. And audio dramas just seemed like the natural course for that. Yeah. Well, and you look at, like, in the U.K., um, I, I can't even think of the name of the company, but a company was doing all this Doctor Who audio dramas for years. Oh, yeah? And it's huge. Yeah, it's huge business for them. I wish I had Big Bang. I don't know. I don't remember the name now. But um, audio dramas have definitely taken off in the age of podcasts and mm. that sort of thing. So have you found people to be pretty receptive to what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. No, we had a really good reception, um, both fans of Dracula as a whole, and then people who just like to listen to podcasts, especially here in Southern California. Everybody has a commute. Oh, sure. So, yeah, yeah if you can, like, pop that in for an hour and yep. not be stuck in traffic in your head, at least. Oh, yeah. No, that's how I got started on podcasts. I'm a salesman, so I'm in my car all day. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, that uh, did it for me. So other than Dracula, what else do you guys have going on? Uh, well, we have another um, current. It's currently an audio drama, but we're in the process of turning it into a podcast. Okay. It's called The Myth, or- Myth Archives. Okay. It's a What we do is we go back to the original texts because uh, one of our guys on staff is has his master's in comparative mythology. Oh, wow. Um, so he pulls up the old text for us. We translate them into modern English. And then we have a voice actor read you the stories from these old mythologies while um, a composer scores each story in the music of the region. That's outstanding. Thank you. Uh, so what do you have any areas done yet, or is this something you're still working uh, on? We've completed the Norse, and we are two episodes away from completing the Greeks. After oh, wow. that, we're going to do Japan. That's really cool. So my question is with the Norse mythology. Everything we know about Norse mythology was actually written down by a Catholic priest mm. in the 9th or 10th century, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Did you guys find stuff older than that, or is that what you? We mostly pulled from the Eddas, okay. like the the poetics in the, the Eddas, yeah, the original and Heroic like and Heroic. then like obviously modernized it. I don't know oh, about sure. you, but my Latin is not so good. So I, mean, I couldn't get through a sentence anymore if I had to. Yeah, <laughs> I never could. So you're still ahead of me. Well, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hands at one point. <laughs> Fantastic. So where can people find you if they want to find you on the interwebs or wherever? Uh, Storyforgeproductions.com is our website. And then we're also on Facebook at uh, Facebook slash Storyforgeproductions or on Twitter and Instagram at at Storyforgers. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, guys, this is Jeremy. I'm sitting here with Ryan T. Husk. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm fair to Midland. I got a beer in front of me, so it's uh, I could be worse. I, I want be a worse. beer at noon. Yeah, I it? tried to get one at nine. It's noon now. You're <laughs> perfectly okay. I've been trying to get one since nine, so you know, yeah. it's just one of those weekends. Uh, so Ryan uh, Rico brought you over. Um, were you also in Renegades? Yeah, um, I'm a co-producer of Renegades. Uh, I've also done a couple little bit acting parts in it. In the most recent one, I'm Lieutenant Largent, part of the. Uh, the uh, crew, the Confederation crew. Okay. So you're involved in the continuing action of Renegades itself. Yeah, all the nuts and bolts yeah. of it. So uh, I noticed you dropped a few words from the original titles. Yeah. Is that uh, working out pretty well trying to de-brand it or decouple it from original branding? Yeah. Um, it was a fairly easy transition because um, it's not continuing uh a particular crew like we're not we're not continuing the original series or the next generation it was kind of its own entity within the star trek universe so and most of the characters were made up and created you know on our own so it was really easy to just uh take out the star trek elements and when i say easy i mean logistically not emotionally because oh, sure we're well, sad yeah. you know nobody wants to change tuvok to kovok or you know or Admiral Chekhov to, you know, Admiral What's-It, you know. But yeah. It's, uh, it was really easy to just logistically to take, you know, a few words out and replace them with other words. And uh, now we have Renegades, which is kind of its uh, standalone science fiction series, totally original and unique, and people still love it. Luckily, our fans are 100% on board. We've been very fortunate about that. Well, I'd say that's kind of the good part with Star Trek fans in particular, but sci-fi fans in general, that they'll kind of... They'll kind of follow you down anything. They will. Yeah. They will. Uh, they're very supportive. I, I believe that uh, sci-fi fans are the most supportive of any genre by far. So as an actor, um, not just because I'm a big Star Trek dork myself, um, but as an actor, I always felt like if I could get into the sci-fi culture, I'll have a fan base and a support system that'll last forever. Because, I mean, you look at these people at conventions... They were in one episode 50 years ago, or they were in two scenes 48 years ago, and they're still signing autographs. Oh, yeah. And they're still going to conventions, and they're still paying rent off of it. And the fans are still saying, what can I see you in now? What are you doing now? I mean, they're just, they're the best fans in the world. You know, yeah. science fiction, and more specifically, Star Trek. Well, um, you know, just to kind of back that point up, there was a young lady I interviewed earlier in the year. Uh, she was making a movie called Life After Flash, which is about the 35 years after Flash Gordon was made. Mm-hmm. And she asked me, because I guess conventions are a little bit different in the U.K., or maybe she hadn't gone to them. She's like, well, everything's I'm, a little different in the U.K. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> call them chips instead of fries. I know, fries. I was thinking the same thing. What are Speak doing? English, would you? Yeah. Come on. But she goes, so what do you think about these guys who, like, they played a guy loading a torpedo in one movie 20 years yes. ago, 
and they're still there, you know, making 20 bucks in the autograph. And I'm like, well, you know, we all got to pay the bills. Yeah. You know, so it's good that we have fans that are like, oh, my God, you were the third mutant in Battle Beyond Planet of the Apes. And, uh-huh. yeah, here, sign this for me. Totally. But see, I did the same for Sam Jones from Flash Gordon. I brought my Queen album and everything. I'm like, here, keep taking my 20s. Just keep signing That's stuff so for cool. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that for me was a big deal. So how did you get into film production? What was your background? Um, you know, honestly, uh, I just kind of fell into it. I was an actor. Before that, I was a musician. Um, and I just kind of started... Actually, it was uh, Star Trek Renegades was my first real crew was your first production? Job, okay. Uh, because as a big Star Trek fan, I just kind of wanted to work on it, regardless. You know, I just wanted to be a part of it, like most Star Trek fans. If, if they say, sure. can, you, can you help us make this project, you know, happen, of course you're going to do it. And then from there, um, you know, you work really hard at something and you do really well. And uh, people start asking you to be part of their team and then their team. And then next thing you know... I'm now producing more than full-time. I'm working seven days a week, you know, 16 hours a day, producing multiple projects, at least half of which is sci-fi. Okay. So now um, acting has kind of taken a back seat a bit, and so is my writing because there are a lot of, a lot of nerdy projects out there. Sure, absolutely there are. I love doing it. So you're a musician, a writer, and an actor, and a producer. Yeah. What was your first love? Music. music. I moved to L.A. as a musician, actually, okay. and now I don't actually have time to do any music anymore. What is it a particular instrument? What do you play? What do you do? What's your thing? Yeah, I was usually the front man in a band. Uh, I would either just sing or I would sing and play guitar. I mean, I did drums and bass and other projects, but usually guitar and vocals. Well, I guess if you're used to standing at the front of the yeah. stage, back of stage probably doesn't yeah. look so good. But drums are so fun. Are they? They're so fun. It was a, It's... it's uh, it's just one of those things where I could walk by my guitar and not strum it. I could walk by a keyboard and not strum it or a bass. But if you walk by, you can't walk by a drum set without sitting down and playing for five Banging seconds. It's just out. so fun. Yeah, it's so easy. And How quick. many instruments do you play? That's the extent of it. Drums and bass and guitar primarily. So pretty much all of them, except, except wind. In a, in a regular rock band, yeah, but yeah. I never played, like, uh, brass instruments or anything. Okay, that's outstanding. So, besides Renegades, what else are you, uh, what do you got going in the hopper right now? Well, uh, currently producing a uh, film called Assassin's Apprentice. Um, we are running a Kickstarter for supplemental films. We're already making it, but this is just to, uh, sorry, like, supplemental funds. Uh, we've got Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager, who's sure. playing, like, a, uh, a head assassin. And, He's always uh, looked a little assassin Yeah, I me? love it. Yeah. Hey, Herb. See you in there. Um, and uh, we've got Tara Page. She is a stunt woman. Uh, she gets a lot of work. She's an amazing, great friend of mine. She was also in Renegades. Uh, she's playing like his disciple. And we have a third lead actress from Star Trek, who was a lead actress on a Star Trek series. Can't divulge it quite yet because sure we don't have the paperwork signed. So. We'll be uh, announcing that probably in a couple days. It's called The Assassin's Apprentice. Um, also executive producing a new series called Blade of Honor. That's starring so many people. Richard Hatch, Tim Russ, Aaron Eisenberg, who was Nog on Deep Space Nine, Sirach Lofton, who was Jake Sisko on mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine, um, myself, Allison Hayslip from G4 and Con Man. Uh, that's a sci-fi series. I kind of look at it as... a between Battlestar Galactica and Enemy Mine, if you remember the 80s show. Oh, Enemy absolutely. Mine. Well, I remember or the, the movie. movie. Was it a series? No, oh, yeah. Okay. Movie, yeah. 
Um, we're about to shoot that. We've got the funds. We're going to be shooting that probably in a month. Now, is that a two. movie or a series? That you're series. Doing? Okay. Um, what else? Uh, Renegades as well. We're finishing that up in post-production. We already covered that. Fifth Passenger uh, is a sci-fi thriller. That's in post-production, so that'll be ready, and it's a movie. It'll be ready in a few months. Marina Sirtis, Doug Jones, my favorite person in the whole world, if you know who that is. I, yeah, we do. It's great guy. Um, also, Doug Jones looks to me like if if I had to try to pick an alien out of a crowd, yes. I'd be like the guy who almost looks human but just a little too thin and like... Not even almost looks human. <laughs> the guy who cradled Micah's face. Yes, yes. That's, if, if you have somebody doing this, you know it's Doug Jones. Yes. <laughs> That's um, well, yeah. That was the other thing, just his warmth and everything. Like everybody came up to the table, sweetest man in the world. Sweetest man in the world. That's uh, yeah. That was to me. That was one of the funniest things. But I tried to explain him to somebody one time. I said, like, if you look at a hundred people and you look at the one guy that might be an alien, that's him. Yep. Yeah, that's him right there. And that's not a, That is not an insult. No, in not way. at all. Yeah. Not at all. And I, I make it my own personal mission to cast him in things in which you can see his face because. Even though he's been, you know, for those that don't know, he was in Pan's Labyrinth. He was the actual fawn, the Pan in Pan's Labyrinth. He was also, he played the the creepy hand eyes guy in Pan's yep. Labyrinth as well. He's in every Guillermo Silver del Surfer. Toro stuff. He yeah. was, um, Silver he's Surfer. He's playing that's the right. Nosferatu remake as well, which I cannot wait to see. He's He'll be Count be Orlock. Perfect He'll be for outstanding. That. Uh, so yeah, so he's one of those guys where he plays all of these amazing aliens you know he was also Abe Sapien and Hellboy yes. but he's not necessarily a household name because you don't recognize his face because he always, he's always has... got about seven pounds of latex on his face exactly yeah. so I want his face to be seen more prominently in things because he's just uber talented you yeah know? He's, no, great he's, guy. he's great he was was he a mime originally am I am I remembering that wrong or am I making he's that done, up he did stuff like that I don't remember his full story uh moving in but I know he did theater yeah. way back in high school he, he's a very physical actor I guess extremely that yeah. yeah very expressive cool so if people want to find you and your work on the interwebs work when they find you at Ryan you know uh you can just google Ryan Husk or Ryan T Husk or the Incredible Husk the Incredible Husk <laughs> that's pretty good and uh then you'll see everything you'll see my IMDB you'll see my Facebook uh you'll see all the projects that I'm producing um and that, that should be the easy way to go. You can Google Blade of Honor or Fifth Passenger or Renegades, um, all those things, Assassin's Apprentice. Check that out on Kickstarter. We've got a couple weeks left. It's going really well. We've already doubled what we wanted to uh, get out of it as far as funds are concerned. And it's going to expand into a, a, a trilogy of feature oh, okay. films and also a video game app. Really cool stuff. That sounds like a lot of cool stuff. Well, Ryan, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. I do appreciate it, sir. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Hey, guys. It's Jeremy again. I'm sitting here with Rob Cannon from Rats and Crows Publishing. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Having a good time out here at uh, Classic Con Modesto. Fantastic. So you are an artist and writer and publisher. Yes. So what did you do first? Did you write or draw first? I drew first. Okay. What got you into comic books? The allure of storytelling. Um, First, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Then I discovered that I really enjoyed illustrating. And the, the thing about comics is you really have the power to tell whatever type of story you want. You can have your characters doing anything. You know, you're, you're free of limitations. Yeah. And so I, I started um, developing, like, visual storytelling skills by just practice, 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 practice. You know, I, I did 
I think, five or six comics before I made Saint Six, and by then I'd kind of gotten a, a rhythm for how to do storytelling visually and, and writing characters correctly. Okay. So tell me way. about your process. Do you do on paper, computer? What's your what's your illustration process like? So first you got to do the paneling, set up the page composition. That's one of the most important parts is, yep. is composition. You know, um, Then I go in with pencil, go over that with pen, scan it in, do coloring, effects, textures, and Photoshop. And that's pretty much it. Okay. How about lettering? Who does that? I do the lettering. You do the lettering? Yeah. The reason I ask about lettering is I've had uh, some people on recently who have done comics and then sent it out for publishing and then get it back and they're like, yeah, everything's great except your lettering. Yeah, lettering's tricky. Yeah, and, and if you don't have a design, if you're a person like me and design's not primary in your thinking, mm-hmm. lettering, you don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. Lettering's just part of it. But for yes. people who do this every day, mm-hmm. lettering, use of negative space, is very critical to storytelling and to the layout of the page, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Um, lettering, I I had to do trial and error, obviously. Um, luckily, I, I have a sense for composition. And lettering, you have to think of it as being a part of the artwork, you know, being a part of the composition. Otherwise, you're just slapping it on there, and it it, it, and it looks like it. I've yeah. seen a lot of comics. We get a lot of submissions, as a matter of fact. That just the the lettering, they use the standard, you know, type and everything like that, and it doesn't blend in with the artwork. It looks like you know it's it's stuck on there in Photoshop, which it is, but it's not supposed to look like that. Right. So that's why when it, when I'm doing the lettering, let's say for Saint Six, I use like a marker. Scanned it in, like did it, hand drew all the bubbles, made sure the compositions were correct, leading the eye and everything, and I put some textures on there to blend it in with the artwork because that's really important. You don't want it to be distracting. Right. Well, you need it to look like it's the overall part of the image, but it's also the last thing to go in. So yes. that, that can make it really, really tricky. That's why you got to plan it when you're doing paneling. Right. I always, throughout all of the steps that I do, I look back at my paneling and say, okay, well, I was planning on doing this, 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 and this. Because you have to at least be able to remind yourself of what your original idea was, or else you, it's easy to kind of focus in on a detail and get lost on what the big picture is. So, sure. Um, so now when you finished your first comic, did you know you were going to self-publish? Um... That's a good question. That was our plan at first. Uh, <laughs> um, when I finished Saint Six, I actually I, I made a pilot, sent it out to in this um, an anthology that Mike Schneider put together. It's called Octal, and uh, uh, a young uh, aspiring Canadian publisher picked it up, and he loved what I did. And we ended up working together and starting this company. Okay. And so using Saint Six as kind of our pilot project, we said, "Hey, look what we're going to do. We are going to be a publishing company." People saw what we were doing and got interested, so and we started getting submissions. Well, it's kind of a good time for that, too, because this is the first time in 20 years that comics have sold as well as they are right now. Right. So if you were going to hit timing-wise, mm-hmm. now's the time. Yes. That's what it seems like. Yeah. So have you, I mean, obviously you're doing conventions and that sort of thing. Have you found readers and buyers to be pretty receptive to your product? Yes. Yeah, the people that we can get to look at it. Unfortunately, I find in... In this culture, there are a lot of people just want to see their favorite characters. Yes. Which, and I totally get that. People want to see their fandom, and that's what they're into. That's cool. Me, coming at it from sort of a, like a classical or a, or a fine artist perspective, I want to see stuff that's new that I haven't seen before. Those type of people who are looking for something new love what we're doing. So it's it's kind of hard to find that audience, but once once we get them, they, they like what we're doing. So That's good. So you say you have a fine art background. Uh, what was your background? Well, I, uh, I took... A lot of art classes in school. I was always just interested in visual storytelling and, and artwork in that way. Okay. So and and never talking. really into, like, pop culture. Gotcha. So 
I was always kind of into the like weirder stuff. I love Ralph Steadman's work. He worked with Hunter Thompson, the really like spattery violent I, images. I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So stuff like that and just kind of making bizarre things. And, and I, I keep going back to this, but it's really central to, to my... Uh, to my philosophy as an artist to make things that I have never seen before. That's okay. my number one goal. So you've got, now your first book that you published was your mm. own, right? Yes. Okay, and that was called Sane Six. Yeah. So why don't you give us a quick top-down view of what that book's about? Okay, it's about 12 criminal contractors. They stumble into the biggest job of their careers, and everything is not as it seems. And so I want to make it clear in this first issue that the story is not about the job. It's about the characters and what they're going through. And... I, I wanted to, one of the things that's kind of unique about this book that I've, uh, I've gotten a lot of comments about is that there are a lot of small panels rather than like large splash pages and stuff like that. And part of the reason I like doing that and using that technique is it allows you to really get a lot of like visual subtlety in. Characters are talking to one another. I spend like maybe a row of panels between like three or four lines of dialogue because I want to get all the little facial expressions and stuff in there. So I'm really interested in getting the human element in there. Okay. And that's important to me. Cool. And then you've also picked up another book. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that Slime? This is called Slime. And it's the first volume of that we're publishing of Lucas Kowalchuk's, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, uh, an anthology of the work that he did in 2015. And it's just a bunch of crazy, like, junk style, like, sort of like 70s underground style okay. stuff. A lot of wrestling and just crazy... Pop culture, lots of lines. Right. Pop, yeah. pop culture references, stuff like that. And it's it's just a lot of fun. Kevin and I saw that. Kevin's my partner. Um, we saw this, and, and he just he, he, he messaged me on Facebook. He says, are, you, are we crazy, or, or is this just the most awesome book you've ever seen? I'm like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> we got to publish this. That's always kind of awesome to come across that. Yes. So now, as a publisher, you guys are accepting uh, submissions yes. from people? Yeah. yeah. But you want to see finished books, right? We want to at least, when, when we get a submission... We don't require that they're finished, but we want to see what finished pages look like. So even if it's like five pages, we'll we'll put it on our calendar and say, okay, if you finish this book by then, we can talk about publishing this book over At here. This point, yeah. yeah, like, and we have tentatively stuffed book until past a year from now. So we've gotten a lot of really quality submissions, and we're working with a lot of creators that have really strong bodies of work. Okay, so that's very exciting. So you're finding, I mean, so you're finding sales to be in place, and you're finding people who are wanting to get stories published in your yes. company as well. Yeah, that's got to be pretty exciting. It is. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So was this the first comic book, Scene Six? Is that the first one you had published? Yes. Now, when you first bagged and boarded that first copy, how'd you feel? <laughs> it was kind of like. Um, I don't know. It's it's how I imagine a, a filmmaker having their their fully finished first film like packed up and and put in the reel. I don't know. It felt kind of you're holding the physical like proof that you have uh, of all the work that you put into it. You know, this took around six months to produce, and I was just I, I can't even describe it. It just the the uh, it felt like progress. Sure, progress. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Um, so out of everything you've learned since you started publishing your own comic, what was the strangest thing that you found out about being a self-published comic artist? The amount of <laughs> of work that it takes to do this. Like, so, and, and I'm sure everyone's surprised by that. When yeah. like, you, can, you can describe it, you can think about it, you can imagine it, but once you experience it, that's the only, that's, that's the only time where you really know what you're getting into. Yeah, it sounds a lot simpler than it is. But it's, yes. Yeah. yes. Fantastic. Well, Rob, thank you very much for coming by. Why don't you give us a couple links on the interwebs where people can find awesome. you? Awesome. Okay, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Rats and, Rats and Crows Publishing. 
Um, you can go to our website at ratsandcrowspublishing.com. If you have a submission or some work that you'd like us to look at, uh, we also like uh, pairing creators up. So if you've got a body of work or if you have a story that you'd like to pitch us, contact us Contact us at contact at ratsandcrows.com. That is an email address. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we're on Twitter also at Rats and Crows. Okay, so. so do you keep a file of artists on, on hand that you can team up with a writer and should a writer get a hold of you, do you want to see a finished script before that comes? I mean, if somebody wants to submit to you, what would you like to see? Yeah, if, if you're just submitting writing, we want to see a finished script. Okay, fantastic. Rob, thanks very much. Thanks. Appreciate you coming by. Hey, guys, I'm sitting here with Poppy Appleton from Star Wars Steampunk Universe, and she's some sort of gear-laden Ahsoka. What do you got going on there? Uh, I am cosplaying today as Ahsoka Gaia. Okay. And uh, it is a mashup between Star Wars and Steampunk. All right. So Ahsoka Gaia would be? Um, Ahsoka Gaia is a play on the name of from Ahsoka Tano. So Gaia means gear in Japanese. So that's kind of like my Steampunk Star Wars name. Gotcha. So I, you're probably a Star Wars fan then, I take yes. it. Yeah. How did, you, um, how did you hook up with Star Wars Steampunk Universe? Um, well, we've the group started a little over a year ago, and it's head up by Dude Vader, who's like our main... Um, spokesperson for the group and it's a charity group we're actually um backed by lucas we have a handler through lucas films so all all the stuff we do you know has gets proof through them we do charity patches and stuff like that we really go out to charity groups um to help them out and help get um charity scene if like they need a little extra oomph or like people show up in costume and also we do a lot of con work to help uh promote cosplay um for a cause that's really what we try to promote is doing cosplay but also trying to use the cosplay to do something more something with social conscience and some actual value within the world yes absolutely that seems to make sense (laughs) yeah um so let me see here you must be an ahsoka tano fan i'm assuming Now, how about the steampunk side? How did you, are you, were you a steampunk fan? I was a steampunker first. Okay. So my husband and I um, cosplayed together for about six years. And we knew of people who were in the group. We were friends with them. And um, we're actually, I'm actually from Modesto. Okay. And so we moved to San Diego a little over a year ago. And when we moved, the group was like, oh, thank God you're down here now. You get to join. <laughs> so we got recruited by the group. We kind of threw some ideas around of what kind of mashups we wanted to do. And um, someone recommended to me to do Ahsoka. And I really liked Ahsoka because I thought she was really strong, you know, sure. young female character. And I thought that was great for cosplayers. And so that's what I ended up doing. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I'm pretty big fan of that. Have you been watching Star Wars Rebels? No. Okay. Okay. Don't don't ruin it for me because I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to do it in order. So I'm in Clone Wars. I'm in season four right now. Oh, just a little bit further I to go. Oh, I got a little bit more to go and it kills me because I see all this stuff online. I'm like, no, I can't look at it. Yeah. Well, Rebels ended with a well, I don't even want to say anything now. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy Rebels more than you think you will. I know. Well, like I know that. about the story with um, Ahsoka and um, Darth Vader. And uh, I'm trying to get the book from, uh, oh, I forget who's writing it right now, but the book's coming out soon. That's Ahsoka's time between, you know, the Clone Wars and the oh, Rebels. Oh, okay. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, so yeah. that's coming out soon. And the cool thing about it is Ashley Eckstein, who's actually the voice of Ahsoka Tano, she's going to do the audiobook for it. And That's I'm like, good. I know, I'm like freaking yeah. out. <laughs> well, I just, I just the other day, there's a, a Star Wars Facebook group on that. Uh-huh. And somebody got, I don't know, 50 years of Star Trek or something. But the guy who read it uh-huh. pronounces all the names wrong. Oh, no. So they're like, you know, you're just starting to get into it. And then, like, they slaughter something. So at least you know if you got the voice actress, yes. things are going to be She's close. She's going to do it right. And yeah. I met her in WonderCon. She was so nice. Yeah. Yeah, I took a selfie with her. 
<laughs> and who is it that does the voice? Uh, it's Ashley, actually, sorry, Ashley Eckstein. Okay. And she actually does, she's really about, like, um, you know, getting young women involved in, like, enjoying the fandom. So she has, like, a Her Universe website about a ton of her Ahsoka shirts, you know. So, yeah. So she's really great. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um... I guess the main question would be: Do you build any of your own stuff? Or I do, you... do. Well, obviously, my lightsabers I didn't build. I'm not. I'm not that good. <laughs> well, you have to be a real Jedi to build a lightsaber. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Instead of a cosplayer. But um, I made my wig. So it was a white wig, and I dyed it. Um, when we were discussing, like, how was I going to do my steampunk mashup? We ended up going the wig route because we thought it made it feel more steampunk, but still had everything I wanted. I wanted the silhouette to still look like Ahsoka. So I want people to look at me and go, oh, you're Ahsoka. And then go, oh, okay, everything's just a little different. So um, the wig I made, the goggles I bought, but I decorated them on my own. Um, The dress, I basically bought the dress, and then I tore everything off of it and made it to what I needed. Kind of modified it back to what Yeah, and I made all the belts. All the leather work is mine. Um, And the tights, I basically cut out the holes and wore orange tights because I didn't want to wear body paint on my legs. <laughs> that seems like an extra pain in the ass to have to yeah. go through. Yeah. So I'd say about 50% of it is built by me. <laughs> Some of it's modified and, you know, the boots, like, I wear these with more than one cosplay. So... Well, yeah. yeah. It, those look like a multifunctional boot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, so, when you walk by, it didn't even occur to me that you had hair rather than head tails. I didn't oh, even think about you. it. You know, I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, blue-white stripes, and there you yeah. go. And it wasn't until you said steampunk, and I actually, like, stopped and, like, looked and went, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, now I, I see it. Get now it. I'm yeah. getting it. So, how long have you been a Star Wars fan? Uh, probably since I was little. I mean, my folks, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so really, it was only the movies. And we used to watch, like, the VHSs all oh, sure. the time. Yeah. And then when I got older, my roommate, my roommate was a gnarly, um, my roommate in college, gnarly Star Wars fan. And her father was a big Star Wars fan. And when he passed away, he had, like, all the books. And so she gave them to me and my husband. Unfortunately, I didn't read as many of the books as he did. Like, my husband could sit here and talk to you about stuff all day about oh, how sure. he loves Yu Zhang Bon and Mara Jade and everything. And I'm like... I know some of those stories. I've heard, I've heard those names. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, ever since, you know, it's just, ever since I was a kid, it's just something that was in the yeah, house. Did you grow up in the Central Valley? Um, I didn't grow up in the Central Valley. I actually grew up in, well, I guess Bakersfield's considered the Central Valley. Yeah, it's technically Central Valley. Yeah, yeah. and then I went to college um, in Turlock here. Oh, okay. And then um, my husband and I lived here in Turlock for years. My husband's actually from Turlock. Like, I'm staying with my in-laws. I live in Modesto. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. Well, then the reason I ask that is because, you know, George Lucas is from Modesto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, like, for guys my age, uh-huh. there's no choice. You're a Star Wars fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like being born into a religion or a political party. You're uh-huh. just, that's it. You know, funny story. One of my, one of my husband's friends who grew up here, actually his family rented his, George Lucas's house where he grew up at in Modesto for Over a short time. Yeah. yeah. They, they lived in that house for, like, I want to say, like, a year or two. Yeah. But he always tells people, he's like, I was Georgia Lucas's house. Yeah. No, that's a friend of mine did too. Yeah. And when I was a kid and I worked in hardware, one of the one of the regular customers we had was old Mr. Lucas's next door neighbor. So yeah, that's I mean that's kind of showing my age a little bit, but also shows that shows that the town's like a little more old school, even though there's a quarter of a million people here now. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if people want to find uh, Star Wars Steampunk Universe online, where can they find it at? Uh, they can find it on Facebook. We do have um, a Facebook page. It's Star Wars Steampunk Universe. Um, there, it lists all the members there. We have we have about we're a very small charity group, so we're sure. actually one of the smallest ones that are actually been given like you know charity permission. Status and, yeah, yeah, charity status through Lucasfilms. 
Um, there's about 14 of us. We range from everything like um, my husband and I do the Clone Wars, so he does instead of Cad Bane, it's Cog Bane. We have a Lady Babette Fett. Okay. <laughs> we have um, a play on uh, Han Solo and um, the uh, Lando Carissian play on that. Uh, we have a bunch of uh, from all the different uh, areas, and we're trying to convince one of our other members to do some of the new stuff, like the Rogue One. Oh yeah. Um, we're like, she needs to do Jin. Uh, we're like, you need to do her. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of excited about that one yeah. too. Yeah. Cool. And are you, now, do you cosplay as anything else, or is this um, kind of your your main thing here? Well, this is one of the many things I do. Like I said, I was a steampunk cosplayer first. So um, if you have, go to my Facebook page which is Poppy Appleton, you'll see all of my um, different types of cosplays I do. And they're all steampunk. I'm like a steampunk jester, a steampunk princess. Um, the main one I do is uh, steampunk, um, we, we joke, we call it cowpunk, but like steampunk western. Oh, yeah. So I'm really, really big on that. Um, so. so Richard Hash, who was supposed to be here at Classic uh-huh. Com, is actually working on a movie called Cowboys and Engines. It's yeah. less racist than it sounds. Okay. Because <laughs> it's it's steam engines. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a cowboy, it's a western uh-huh. steampunk story. Nice. And the guys that started this convention uh-huh. actually started, originally the idea was going to be an all steampunk con. Yeah. But I think, oh, I'm I think they probably that. felt it was a little, little too wide. So what was your... Um, what was your website? Um, well, I'm on Facebook as Poppy oh. Appleton and okay. on Instagram. You can find me there. Perfect. And all my you, shenanigans. <laughs> just when you said when you said website, I thought maybe there was a, uh, no. a no, .com or .net. No, no. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank I appreciate it. Thank you so it. much. All right, guys. So I'm sitting here with Alan Spears of Alan Spears Art. How you doing, Alan? Pretty good. That's oh, good. So a um, yeah, little background info. My wife, your sister, 20 years ago, best friends. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of how we have come into each other's sphere here. But you are at every Central Valley Con that I've gone to, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I just started uh, with Modesto Con because I, I used to do a lot of stuff out of Oakland first Friday. Oh, okay. And then uh, I wanted to do stuff around here so I didn't have to drive. And so Modesto Con was the first one I was. Good at. show, huh? Oh, that yeah. Yeah, I um, was very impressed with that. I got a table there just so I'd have a chance to meet Sam Jones from Flash Gordon. Uh huh. Um, I crush on that guy a little bit. It's <laughs> a little weird, but it's okay. I promise I'm not stalking him. Um, but you know, I know they were talking. They were like, "Oh yeah, we're hoping for three to five thousand people." They yeah. had like seven to ten. Oh yeah. So that was a really outstanding show. And so it was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. Just even. Watching everybody in the costume come yeah, by. Good crowd, oh, lots yeah. of great vendors, lots of good artists, yeah. local artists, and from out at the Bay Area and down yeah, south. Yeah, and as I well. met a lot of like the fellow artists, you know, the people that had the booths oh, across sure. from us and get to know them. And then from there, I went to uh, Stockton Con. You had a table at Stockton Con? Yeah. That was an outstanding show. Too. Yeah, that was almost too busy because the crowds, like, I tried to go walk around the event and you just kind of get. Yeah, just kind of banged into a wall (laughs) and you're stuck there. That was it. Was it reminded me of when WonderCon was still young in San Francisco? Uh That's what it reminded me of. We used to take our kids to that back in the early 2000s. Yeah, Um, it was a good show. A lot of great vendors and stuff Mm -hmm. again. So it's it's really cool seeing that kind of take off here in the Central Valley. Yeah. So how now you do a lot of prints and that sort of thing, but you don't publish a comic or anything, right? No, I don't. Okay. No. So tell me a little bit about your artwork and kind of give me the description of what you do and what you're shooting um, for. I it. kind of have two different things. I have uh, Sharpie drawings, which are uh, black and white drawings that are kind of reverse negative a little bit. Okay. Uh, or using negative space. And um, I do those uh, just portraits of, you know, pop culture, rock and roll movies, uh, yeah, sure. all kind of in 
50, 60s, 70s era. Um, and then I also do comic book covers that I paint with acrylics. Um, so they have the blank sketch covers, and I get those, and then we'll paint. You know, again, I gear that all towards 50s, 60s, 70s type stuff. Um, but I started off in oil painting, and I did wildlife. Okay. And then um, oil painting, I used to do giant canvases, and it would take me forever, and the dry time was like, I wanted to move on. And now I'm down to tiny <laughs> comic book size stuff, and I can get them done pretty quickly. Seems to work. So do you have a favorite character that you like to draw? Uh, I'm really drawn to the Batman 66 stuff. I saw, yeah, when I walked by your table, I noticed there was a lot yeah, of stuff from that. Uh, and that's just from, I mean, that was on TV when I came home from school every day. Kind of all the stuff that I did was always the stuff they played on, like, the Superstation TBS. So I got to look in the other day. Um, I own a lot of old TV, and I keep it on a hard drive that cycled through a computer to my television. Uh-huh. Okay, so Star Trek, Batman, and the Monkeys, all started in 1966. Oh, yeah? Yeah, fantastic year for television. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, now, did you see that they're doing another uh, uh, Burt Ward and um, Adam West? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I actually work at a movie theater, and we're going to play that. Oh, are the you? The day that it releases or the day before, there's one That's night out. showing. So I'm is, that, is that here in the area? Uh, Trelock. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I think the Modesto Theater is also. I think that the, it's just that they're rolling it out before it goes Kind of like so. they did with The Killing Joke. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So are you, uh, you a comic book fan? Yeah, I am. Okay. Um, you got a favorite? Right now, I haven't been reading anything. I like The Walking Dead, Fables. I like... Not necessarily a lot of that DC, image, Marvel. non-superhero yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah, uh, I got into DC a little bit, and then they lost me when they went to New Fifty Two and well, changed everything. Can't tell you how often I hear that story. <laughs> they lost me when they did that too. Because I was just getting started, and yeah. I was reading a lot of books, and then I read that oh, it's all going to change. So it's like, well, what did I just read all that for? Well, did you see that they're actually reincorporating some of the older things back yeah. now? So I'm kind of excited by that. Yeah. But they kind of slowed the storytelling down, so I'm not up to date on it. Yeah, I stopped. So I'm an old school DC fan, like you know, '80s. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm rereading the new Teen Titans from 1980 <laughs> right now. I've decided I'm going to go through from beginning to the end of Marv Wolfman's run. Um, so, okay, you, how long have you been painting? Uh, I've been painting. I started an oil painting probably in '95, '94. So 20 years. Right? Yeah, you got I, some time. Man. I did drawing and stuff all through high school and stuff I took some art classes um, then actually me and my mom took a oil painting class uh, in Turlock adult school and I I liked it because you could just we didn't have to go through like shades and values and everything it's like I want to paint this picture show just me how jump in and go and she said bring whatever you want and I'll show you how to paint it and then that's really took off from there because that's where I learned like technique because if I had a problem the teacher came and she would just show me how to do it because I'm a visual learner and then from there I did a lot of oil paintings for a time then I completely stopped and then I started taking guitar lessons um, and he was saying he liked 1950s pinups okay and he said hey we can do trade outs you know I'll give you lessons and equipment for paintings I'm like I'm all for it so I started doing pinup paintings for him based on like the Elfgren pinups and stuff and okay. that's really kind of where my style now and the comic book covers comes from. There is like a little bit of a pinup quality to them uh, because that's how I learned how to do people. From I went from animals to people. Yeah, and the Elvgren paintings were kind of what I kind of jumping yeah. point of how to do. That, that makes stuff. sense too because that's also kind of a big market. I mean, pinup art yeah. is huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
at what point did you get comfortable enough with your artwork to decide to show it publicly to people? Well, even when I was doing the trade-outs, I still, all my, like, oil paintings and stuff are just hanging in my house. Nobody's really seen them. I don't want them on display. So I had a lot of art around my house that I wasn't doing anything, but I had, like, you know, friends and family saying, why don't you have this out there? But then it's friends and family saying that, so you're like, okay. You're not sure how good their critical eye is. So uh, what happened was I started posting stuff online, and I somebody said hey make an instagram page and just post your stuff on there so i did and then i was getting comments and likes on it i'm like okay so this is unbiased nobody has to click like on that so clearly maybe there's something here not going to see them at thanksgiving they have nothing to gain and then i had uh some stuff on etsy some of my sharpies oh okay and somebody contacted me and said would you like to be a part of a show in san francisco um and you know, it's uh, where you sell so many tickets and you can get a table and then whatever you don't sell, you pay the rest, the difference. So I thought, well, it's a that San Francisco show. reduces your risk a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And it was like the first time I ever did anything. So I, I said, okay, I'll go ahead and do this. So I took all my Sharpies down to San Francisco. It was one night. I didn't really make that much, but I loved the interaction with the people because sure. it's such a one-sided thing when you're just an artist sitting in a room. And telling your friend, hey, how do you like this? What, what do you think of this? <laughs> it's like, oh. Yeah. But to hear, like, the public come up and say, oh, that's cool. I really like it. That's almost more fun to me than selling anything is just getting the feedback. Yeah. All right. So Modesto Con was your first show. That was back in July. Yeah. Or your first convention. Anyways, yeah. Not the first, your first yeah. showing. But, um, how did you decide? Let, let's kind of walk through the steps here. And I may get my wording wrong, but. At what point do you go, like, okay, I've been painting. Here's the kind of artwork I like. People seem to like it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make money on it. You want to kind of walk me through that whole discovery in your head? Well, that or? really happened. That same time I did that San Francisco show, we stopped in Oakland, and they were having their first Friday where it's uh, they shut down Telegraph, and it's vendors and art, basically. Or at the time, it was more art and vendors. That's more of a street fair kind of thing. Yeah, right? and yeah. it's the first Friday of every month. And I talked to a vendor there. I said, how much did you, is it? for a space and it was 40 bucks for a space I thought okay I can spend 40 bucks tolerable loss try yeah. it yeah try it out so when I did the, the following month I went to Oakland and it was just like that San Francisco experience times 20,000 people coming by and saying okay. oh I like this or do you have this character or this and it's like oh that's a good idea oh yeah I never thought of doing somebody of that and uh, and they were buying stuff more so than I was selling in San Francisco that that one show so then I was like, okay, maybe there's something here that I can make a profit off of doing something I enjoy. Because before it was never like, oh, I want to make money. It was more like, I like to do art. Right, I like to paint. Yeah, yeah. and it's something I do to just zone out and not have to not think about it. Um, so when it was interaction and people were buying and not really questioning like oh you want this much you know because if you have friends and family they're like oh what, draw this for me for free yeah do this for free or how much oh you want that much for it never mind but it was people that were willing to pay what i was asking and um that's where it was like a light bulb clicked on and like oh there this could be something, be something here and then it really didn't I, I went to almost a year straight going to oakland and i was doing okay but it wasn't until the modesto con that I just did crazy good. And I think it's because the stuff that I had was really geared towards, you know, uh, comic really book well with what yeah. you doing. And it was, um, it was all the feedback, all the people buying stuff, and then 
giving me ideas of stuff to do in the future and then seeing them at the next show and then them buying, you know, oh, you did do it. Yep. That's cool. So that's really where it yeah. clicked, like, oh, I could maybe make some money off of this. And That's really cool. So you're doing pretty well at this then? Yeah, it's pretty good. Overall? For for yeah. a first, I, you know, I consider this my first year of doing this type of stuff. Well, you're not even a full six months in at this point. If no. If you start with Modesto Con. Yeah. yeah. So... What, what do you think one of the hardest things to learn that you've come away from this with was? And what do you think... Well, let's start with that. What do you think... What were you most surprised to learn as you started doing this? Let's start with that question. Well, what I was most surprised with was pretty much just the reaction of the people. The unsolicited, like, stopping by and talking. And wanting to talk about it. Like, not just walking by and giving a thumbs up or, hey, this is cool. But wanting to know, like, oh how did you do this or what is this and really wanting to pick my brain about what I've done because I never had that before because like with family and friends they know where yep. I'm coming from and they don't care to hear like Not a lot what of my backstory yeah. is to that and then the, the hardest thing for me was to put myself out there like it was a big deal even for me to like put my stuff on Instagram because it's like I didn't want it's like I don't want people to be like oh, that's garbage or what are you thinking well, and I it's really a hard thing to open up with and really put everything yeah. out there. And and I have artist friends, and it's like you always are comparing yourself to yeah. them. And well, not to break you off of your train of thought, but I have found artists, we very often look at the stuff we're doing and go, oh, that's shit. That's oh, yeah. terrible. No matter how good it is, oh, yeah. everything we do when we're done, you're just like, oh, I wish I hadn't drawn or That's said, exactly. Or, yeah. We're overly critical of yes, ourselves. Yes, because I'll think. have yeah. paintings that I'm doing, and then... I'll just hold them up now and be like, what's wrong with this to somebody? And they can't find it. And then I point it out. And my biggest issue was that when I would be something done, when I had something finished, I would be the first one to point out, well, this is wrong right here because I didn't want them to, somebody yeah. to say something. So Beat I'm going to say, punch. hey, I know yeah. it's a mistake. But, I realize that, yeah. you know, that eye is pointing slightly off to one side. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I kind of just kind of thought, you know, it's my stuff. If they like it, they like it. If they don't, yeah. they don't. But you I didn't let the people. fear keep you from trying either, though. No, well, for probably, because I took about four years off of not doing, creating so anything. So you did let the fear keep you from trying. And it wasn't, it was, it was like a lack of motivation to do anything because nothing was like catching my eye. Uh, because when I was, before when I was painting, not really geared towards showing it, it was something had to be like, oh, I want to paint that. I have to have a drive to paint it. And I hated doing commissions because it's like if I don't enjoy what I'm painting, it's just it's a job. Right. It's work. And it's no, not going to be fun for anybody. So really once I changed from like uh, putting my stuff out there a little bit and then realizing I can still do the stuff I enjoy doing and get it done and like doing it and people are still responding to it, then it's not work, it's fun, and that kind of changed everything. Okay. So you had a light... A slight perspective change on yeah. it allowed you to yeah. approach it differently. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. And if they do, that's great. If they don't like it, they can look at something else. Yeah, go to the next booth. Somebody's at, you know, I don't like everything artistic-wise. Like, there's many different genres that I don't enjoy. Oh, yeah. Like, I hate Jim Lee. Apparently, yeah. I'm the only person, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, all right, Alan, so if people want to find you, where can they find you at? I am on Instagram at Alan Spears Art, A-L-L-E-N, Spears, like Brittany. <laughs> and then art and also on facebook all right and do you take commissions now yeah i do okay 
And then I, on both of those pages, I post everything that I do from sketch concept to in-between painting to the completed painting. So you can watch the whole process. Yeah, so you can see if somebody buys something, a print I always say, you can go see exactly where it started to where you have it in your hand now. Because I enjoy that when That's really cool, that. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Alan, thank you very much for stopping by. I really appreciate no it. Um, 